Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to Beyond the Bump today. We have Christy here, who's the sleep teacher, and she's a sleep consultant, and she's going to chat to us today, um, answering heaps of your questions about all things sleep from newborn through to five years of age. And thank you for joining us. No problem. Thank you for how having you going? me. I'm good. I'm good. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and how you got into this work? But yeah, before you sure. do it, I just need to say a few thank yous to yourself who's actually in Byron on holiday with your husband and your three daughters and I've pulled you away to do this um, recording oh, for everyone. I'll take any outlet I can go to three kids. Thank you. And a huge thank you to Sophie as her newborn baby Goldie is not even, well, she's six days old, isn't she? And here she is just back to work. Yeah. So if you hear any cries, guzzles, farts, etc. And I'm really tired because I was awake um, Googling Brad and Jen if they're together or not. So feel sorry for me. (laughs) But anyway, let's crack on because we all want to know how to put a baby to sleep and and go from there. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, so tell us about yourself and how you got into this work. Sure. So I am a mum myself. I have three little girls and I guess um, I've, you know, been in the trenches myself before with sleep deprivation and um, I started doing a little bit of research into what was going on, why was my baby waking so much at night, you know, being 10 months of age and still wanting three or four bottles a night and not sure if there was something going wrong. Um, But, yeah, once I sort of started to do a bit of research and um, actually discovered that it was the fact that she was so reliant on that bottle Mm -hmm. to fall asleep and and stay asleep, that was the reason she was waking so much and I, um, you know, looked at a little bit of sleep training myself and once once I'd done it, um, as I said to you on the way up, Jade, it was it was a game changer. Mm. I had my life back and I just felt like I was enjoying being a mum again. Yeah. And yeah, I wasn't, Was this with your first? Yeah, daughter? my yeah. first. Yeah. So when she was about 10 months of age and then um, I was already pregnant with my second. So when she came along, I pretty much just implemented you know, those healthy sleep habits early on. And then by the time the third came, I said to my husband, you know, that I wanted an outlet again. I wanted to go back and have some time for myself at, at, you know, whether it be work or study. So I started studying and to become a sleep consultant and yeah, here I am. So I've been doing it for two and a half years now and mm-hmm. I've worked with thousands of families, not only in Australia, but worldwide. And I love it. And I love hearing and getting feedback from these moms who are actually like myself enjoying life again and motherhood and they're not yeah. tired and and do you do consulting um at people's homes and online or how yeah. does it work yeah so um I do do home visits um and but primarily now they're all a lot of them are phone and um Skype and mm-hmm. email yeah. consults um which to be honest the phone consults work just as well as the home visits. yeah 
Yeah. So let's talk. Let's start, I think, at newborns. Mm. We'll, we'll start there and work our way up because you do from zero to five. Is yeah, that right? I do. I do. Yeah. So um, I usually recommend, though, I do have a lot of mums contact me saying that they've just had a baby and they want to, you know, they really want, they want to, to sleep through the night. Yeah. <laughs> they, want to, they want to establish those healthy sleep habits from day one. And I actually encourage my clients, though, to just enjoy those first four months don't put pressure on yourself don't stress about creating bad associations because at the end of the day there is no bad association it's it's you responding to your child yeah the way you feel is right and and that's really natural and you shouldn't sort of fight that but I also don't like to put pressure on it's such a big adjustment it's such a tiring time as it is that you really just need to enjoy it and not worry about those those other things um and also, as I said to you on the way up today, um, a baby's sleep isn't mature until around that four-month mark. So right. I usually start from around 14 weeks. That's the earliest that I actually would work with a client um, purely because their sleep isn't mature. So anything you try to implement and make changes with, you, you're going to be chasing your tail. It's just oh, going okay. to, yeah, it's constant change at that time. So nothing sort of set in stone until around that four-month mark. Which, which is, is quite a nice thing really because, you know, you've just given birth and I'm sure, Sophie, you'll under, like appreciate yeah. that the last thing you want to do is throw in a, a sleep training or a sleep program. Oh, and I think it's so nice to hear that because I think sometimes, you know, they just want to sleep on you or oh, yeah. whatever during the day and it's the time when you look back now this is my second child yeah. you realize how quickly it goes and oh, I don't want to be lying it? there during the day like worrying like oh my six-day-old loves to fall asleep on my yeah. chest I shouldn't be doing yeah, this they should, yeah so that's really nice yeah. to hear yeah so in a normal newborn, what, what would be their sleep patterns and there's that word again, expectations? Yeah, so I guess something that I really stress to new mums is, and I really want them to understand, is that a newborn baby, they don't create their own sleep hormones, so the melatonin. What they have is maternal melatonin, so that's left over from you. Closer to around 12 weeks, it starts to drop off and you see it reside. And that's when they start to, their sleep cycles start to emerge and you notice a bit more catnapping because they're starting to now create their own sleep hormones. And um, whereas before that, you'll see they could sleep, you know, four or five hours mm. and they don't even flinch. Mm. But then now they're starting to sort of go maybe two hours and they're starting to wake. And that's their sleep cycles forming and that's their own patterns that they're creating themselves. But before that, those high levels of maternal melatonin mean that they can sleep really long stretches. So it's okay for newborns to sleep longer than three-hour periods? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Unless you're advised by your doctor to, you know, wake them for feeds for low birth weight and things like yeah. that, then, yeah, definitely. But having long stretches during the day isn't necessarily going to, like, so, line you up for a shocking night. No, or... so I guess, you know, obviously it's still going to mean that, you know, we want to be mindful that we don't want them sleeping 7am till 7pm. <laughs> we want it to be the other way around. So, yeah. um, yes, you still it's still important to get them up and, and give them a feed. But, yeah. Um, yeah, three or four hours is completely yeah. fine. When do babies start realising the difference between day and night? Is that not until they are producing their own melatonin? or Yeah, so... Um, I generally recommend with my clients to um, from around three weeks, you know, the nice dark room for the day 
it's not big that much of a deal, you know, for those first three weeks. But after three weeks, I do recommend having a dark room. Um, and a lot of people will say to me, oh, but then my baby's going to, you know, get day and night mixed up. But that's not the case. Um, and that's where I say we would wake them if they were sleeping for too long. Mm-hmm. So if you had the baby sleeping in here for five hours, you know, like, I think they need to get up, have a feed, mm-hmm. have, you know, 15 minutes sort of awake and then. Yeah. Um, so but, you would have the room dark during yeah, the day for those naps. Melatonin, their sleep hormone is produced far more readily in the dark. So that nice dark room gets their sleep hormones flowing and gets them into that nice, deep, relaxed state. But also you can imagine, for instance, like we're sitting here right, and we can see those shadows on the wall from the fan, from the light. For a baby, that is so stimulating. Like even the shadows from the mm. cot rails, the patterns on their sheets, as they start to get a little bit more alert, those things become they so see stimulating. Contrast first, yeah. Hey, yeah. So stimulating for a newborn. And you can when that when you're trying to get on top of cat napping, that's you know, yeah, really hinders it. So yeah, that's very. Yeah, but I absolutely swear by a dark room. And does that then have any effect on their ability to nap when you're out and about, say in a pram or in the car or? No, no, no. definitely not. I don't find that at all. Yeah. So um, usually I would just put like a muslin over the pram or something just to if it was time for them to go to sleep just purely so they're not getting stimulated yeah mm-hmm. looking at you mm-hmm. and um yeah it's just that time that you know it's time to go to sleep put yeah. the muslin over and just you know take them for a walk but yeah look she's <laughs> falling asleep happily there little darling thank you will babies get used to sleeping on your chest if they nap during the day there uh, look, if that's something that you're doing then and they've never been putting their cot to sleep or their bassinet, then obviously that's what they're going to, to learn to know. But there's no that's not the wrong thing to do if that's working for you. Yeah. yeah. So, it's not so this working. whole thing, and I asked on the way up, when is the right time to, um, you know, sleep train your child so they don't wake up during the night? When is the best time to stop breastfeeding and when is the time? And it really honestly probably comes down to the parent and when yeah. they've had enough. When it's getting not up. working for you. Yeah. yeah. And when the child. The, the right time is when you're ready. Because the, you're... the one thing you told me on the way up was if they're not, if you're not sleeping through the night and having a full sleep, they aren't either. Yeah, well, yeah, and that's that's yeah, that's exactly what I was saying. That you know, the chances of you're feeling those effects of sleep deprivation. You you were saying you were up three times last night. Yumi was up three times last night too. So for a little baby to be feeling what you're feeling, it's probably. Mm. I mean, we'll, effects of sleep we'll get more into sleep training itself down the um, road. But I remember that um, Nick and I were so scared to implement it with Poppy, yeah. and it was nowhere near as traumatic yeah. as I mean oh. it was not traumatic at it's all not, no. let alone not as traumatic as we thought but the biggest thing that made me feel better about it and we'll chat about if it's harmful etc um later on in the episode but um the change in Poppy like she's she was always a happy pretty cruisy baby but like she would barely have to cry for things mm-hmm. anymore because yeah. her needs were met and she was getting good sleep and we were getting good yeah. sleep and it, I think the thing that made me rave about it the most was just her general yeah well-being yeah. seemed so much greater yeah. yeah and then you as a family unit are so much yeah. happier aren't you yeah yeah so it doesn't just affect the child it affects the whole family yeah. you always think why didn't we do this like earlier? Yeah. But the thing is, because you have to be ready. Yeah, you do. Yeah. yeah. 
you get to your wits end and you're like, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Can't do it. Um, what are your thoughts on dummies in newborns? Mm. Yeah, I love dummies. I, oh. I do. So um, that sucking, whether it be the nutritive like bottle or breast or non-nutritive, the dummy or the thumb, is so, so comforting for a newborn. Um, I usually would phase out a dummy personally myself around four months of age only because I find that from that point of time, it's lost the soothing sensation that it had and it's now becoming more of a of a sleep, sleep prop. And those sort of sleep props, I guess, are what um, we refer to as a negative sleep association because it impacts their sleep. Yeah. So what I mean by that is they're falling asleep on the dummy at four months of age, they spit it out, and then mm. in between sleep cycles they want to go back to sleep but they don't have the ability to put that dummy back in. Mm-hmm. So they're relying on you to do that. And how do you phase that out at four months? Uh, so four months of age, I just go cold turkey. Yeah. Yeah. And it's um, like, as you said before, it's actually not, we have a lot more anxiety about those mm, sort of yeah. things than, than needed. It's not that bad. You might find for maybe two or three days, your baby's a little bit more fussier, but at four months of age, you still are assisting them with a bit of padding and things mm. like that. So you just, you just might find that they're a little bit more fussier with trying to get them down. They don't go down as easy as when you pop the dummy in, but they'll get you know through it with your guidance and your padding and lots of assistance yeah um and then yeah just gradually back off how much you're having to pat them over time and you'll get to the point where your baby's just in the cot and it's time for nine eyes and go out and they're asleep are there any bad habits that you should avoid in newborns um look i guess that sort of comes back to what we were talking about before nothing's there's no right or wrong um uh i guess what I was talking about before with, with my three kids, how I'd done feeding to sleep with, with Elkie, my eldest, and then from day one with, with Minka, I um, sort of knew what I needed to avoid. And, and I guess um, what that means is I sort of tried more to um, establish a nice wind-down routine and then pop them in the cot um, with a bit of padding rather than feeding and rocking to sleep because not only was I aware that that's sort of something I wasn't going to be able to sustain. I also had an 18-month-old at home, so mm. I couldn't spend a long time sitting yeah. in there rocking and padding and nursing on the lounge and things like that. So I just found it easier to establish for, you know, two weeks at home just yeah. sort of doing that to begin with and then it was easy. How, um, how important is a, a routine for a child? Like do you need one? Would you recommend um, one? Yeah. I am very much, much a routine person but – babies and children honestly thrive off routine Mm. like their day has so many inconsistencies that a routine is often all they know so you know they're they're constantly getting pulled around with us from pillar to post and um just having that nice routine that they know even whether it's um for instance for a baby they know that um they come in the room and we shut the blinds and then we sit in the chair and we have a a book or, or a breastfeed or a bottle and they you, you'll notice or pulling the sleeping bag out, they know when that comes out that it's bedtime. That's a routine as well. It doesn't just need to be about naps, just a bit of consistency to their day. Um, but, again, the, the, if you're having a very unpredictable day, their nights are going to be unpredictable as well. Mm-hmm. So if you want consistent night sleep, you need to have consistent day sleep yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That was the thing when I was pregnant for the first time. I was like, I'm, you know, I'm... I like being flexible. I'm never going to have a routine child. Like yeah. that'll mean that I'm stuck at home or yeah. stuck doing this. And when I implemented a routine, yeah, excuse me, my life was actually so much more flexible oh. than it was before because I could say to someone, oh, you want to catch up at 2 p.m. tomorrow? Yeah. Great. This is 
approximately where I'm going to be at in my day at that time. Whereas beforehand... I would go, oh, I'll have to message you 15 minutes mm. before and tell you whether Poppy's I can do it or not. Yeah. Or, yeah. or, yeah, you go and you've had to force them from not having a nap and they're yeah. having a tantrum in the middle of the coffee yeah, shop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just that predictability to your day as well. Yeah. And with, I mean, with babies and toddlers and whatnot, I, I think with a, like the more children I've had, I've understood how important crying is mm. for the child to express their overstimulation yeah. and well, self-regulate like that's what they learn to do with their crying they learn how to self-regulate and control their emotions but crying just because your child's crying um doesn't mean that they're hurt or in pain you know babies cry for lots of different reasons and um you know just like the zipper on their onesie or like something on their feet and they don't like a certain food. There's lots of reasons that children's cry doesn't mean that they're hurt or in pain. So, And you do, uh, I, I mean, I don't know if you already know, but, like, it doesn't take long to work out all these little different cries, does it? Yeah, so I think with Poppy we started sleep training when I felt com- We started about six months when I mm. felt comfortable that I knew what her cry was like when she was just tired and whingy yeah. and what her cry was like when she did have a dirty nappy or was hungry Mm. or had hurt herself or, um, yeah, it wasn't until I felt comfortable between those cries that I felt comfortable to leave her to cry at all. Um, But I think this time around I definitely, I mean, I'm not going to say, I mean, she's only six days old, like I wouldn't be leaving her to cry that long right now. Mm. But but I think already I'm picking up on those things Mm. more. And you yeah. just become a bit more comfortable with their cries, like you said, too, as you have more kids. You just say, oh, they're okay. They're all right. I'll get to her in a second. She's mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. It's not a matter of straight away. Oh, I mean, and the more you have, the more they just have to. Because they have to <laughs> you, know, you don't necessarily have two hands for them at all exactly, times. Yeah. So. And newborns, should they all be swaddled to sleep? Um, I am all like all about swaddling. I do like swaddling. Um they obviously their moro reflex, their startle reflex is so strong um, that I do find that it, it definitely helps to keep them asleep for longer periods. And it's not, and you know, the fact about getting them to sleep for long periods, not for our benefit, it's for them. They need that long consolidated sleep, you know, for their healthy, their growth and development. So it's really important that they get that nice sleep rather than just little cat naps. So that's where I find the swaddling is really important. And in, in the womb, they're so confined that, how long for would you swaddle? Uh, so I usually recommend as soon as they start rolling, yeah. um, it's definitely from a safety point of view important we get them out. Um, but, yeah, between four to six months is a good time to start unswaddling them. And swaddle doesn't mean that they have to be in a muslin swaddle. Like they can still Or a straight jacket. An er- yeah, <laughs> an ergo suit or yeah. go bag. So, yeah. And what are your tips on transitioning them out of a swaddle? So um, when you're going to transition, I would recommend going to like an ergo or a grow bag rather than a muslin because what you can do is for I use some people like their babies go cold turkey and they're fine. But if you find your child doesn't or you'd prefer to do it slowly, what you can do is one arm out mm-hmm. just for their, their day naps mm-hmm. um, for, you know, four or five days and then that same arm out for the first stretch of night sleep as well as the day naps for four or five days, then want the um, other arm out for all of the night and day naps. 
and then you can do both arms out for lunch nap, both arms out for mm-hmm. night. Yeah. I found um, the love to dream little swaddles were brilliant. I didn't have them for the first two, but mm. I had them for Yumi and she really liked having her hands up near her face. Yes. Um, so she could actually suck on her little mitten. Yeah. And I was able to then go from one of those bags to arms. Yeah. And then I would do, yeah, one dip, one arm out for a day. And then I'd do the other one um, another day. And then by that stage, she was so comfortable with having these little arms out. I think it was around four months yeah. where she started to get a little bit more. And that's when I introduced a little jelly cat like a little comforter yeah, that perfect. she could cuddle yeah um and now she sleeps in a sleeping bag yeah because that's the best transition yeah yeah bag. yeah i mean the suits are also great because they're one less thing you're kind of battling with yeah. overnight as yeah. well um because sometimes i swear they just have these nights that no matter how tightly you swaddle them they're like ninjas oh, it's yeah. like how on earth did you get an arm out of that and can i just say when i had mia and she was a bit older and I this is where the muslin wraps got me. I walked in, I'm like, oh, she's so quiet. She got out of it, wrapped that muslin around her head. I know yeah. they're breathable. Oh yeah. But it was wrapped. I thought she was gone. I was like, oh my god. I went in there and unraveled, unraveled, unraveled. And she did. She just went and and she's you know, asleep. she was okay. But I was like, that's it, I can't do yeah. that for peace of mind. I need to get yeah, out of that. Yeah. Yeah. When, when is a good time to introduce a comforter like a, a and, and what are safe things to introduce yes. as a comforter? So I usually like uh, would recommend from around that five-month mark you can start once they start rolling as well because yeah. they obviously got a bit of head and neck strength there. Always make sure, yeah, it's breathable material. And before that, though, you can definitely start bringing it out like when you're doing your feed and things like that and just having it with you in the chair while you're feeding mm-hmm. um, and, yeah, part of the wind down and then taking it out like when you put them to sleep so but from five you know six months they're starting to be able to you know comprehend what's going on there so definitely start forming that association um but a good idea i like to get like some muslin swaddles and cut them in squares and tie the corners Mm. in knots they're nice breathable and the the knots too on the end you can put um tie dummies to them as well if you need if they're a dummy baby um i think you can wash them yes i find that you have like 10 on the go out of one swaddle and is it best when you're introducing it if you're breastfeeding to put it in your top for a little bit but even if you're not breastfeeding you know like just mum smell okay it doesn't even need to be the milk smell just mum smell yeah um so yeah definitely for a couple of days even like yeah even if it's a um a kippens or a riffraff or something like that you can still yeah do you have any suggestions for babies that hate being swaddled but startle themselves awake? My little nephew, he yeah. never wanted to be in a swaddle and he sleeps. Yeah. But he doesn't startle himself. He does, but yeah. he's he's a bit of a cruiser. I'm a bit jealous. But he, yeah, he is just out, but he does startle himself. Yeah. Um, or is it a lie and they actually do need to be swaddled? So what I've sort of found, and look, obviously this is just in my experience, what I've found is that, more often than not, like a lot of parents with younger babies will say to me, oh, no, I don't want to swaddle her. She doesn't like being swaddled. And then when I go and do the home visit, what I sort of tend to find is the reason that they are protesting so much when they're being swaddled is they're just so overtired. So right. it's, that's that's sort of what I found. It's that so overtired they just can't control their crying, they're flailing, their arms are going everywhere. And 
to parents, it looks like they're not liking what they're doing, but they are just so overtired. Mm. So, um, and once they are swaddled, they're actually quite calm and relaxed. So, um, yeah. So that's sort of what I found in my experience. I'm not saying that that's that 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 all babies don't like being swaddled, but of sort of find more often yeah. than not they are just so overtired. What what would be a um a key indication that your newborn is starting to get tired rather than get them to that overtired state yeah so with a newborn um when obviously not having big awake windows it's sort of one of those things like you get them up and then they sort of have a feed and a nappy change and then it's time to go back again they're not awake for long periods as we can see so goldie, goldie. <laughs> this, this <laughs> bed. no i she know doesn't want to co-host yet. this is like the longest she's ever been like <laughs> slightly unsettled for normally i just feed her and she just goes back to sleep i'm like can you put on a show in front of the sleep consultant <laughs> <laughs> it's like um, yesterday in front of the child health nurse she did the like weakest little breastfeed ever and i'd been like oh she's so good at breastfeeding <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then i was like she did like a five minute feed and i was like can you please perform in front of the professional <laughs> <laughs> oh dear um what were we saying the newborns being overtired yeah so, so arching their back and um and like uncontrollable crying it's sort of i guess a bit like the colicky baby, like they're just yeah. so uncontrollable. You can't, no matter what you do, it's really hard to settle. So um, I usually recommend with those sort of babies, um, I've got a demonstration on my Instagram, but like placing them with their belly along your arm face down and doing that, that actually sort of settles them really pretty instantaneously actually. And is that because they can't see as much? Um, no, well, they can see, but it's just like really calming. The back actually is quite stimulating for a baby. So putting, yeah. trying to put a baby on their back, even though it's the safest position for sleep, it is really hard to calm a baby yeah. that way. So I recommend calming them in your arm like that way with their tummy on your forearm mm-hmm. and laying them down with a bit of swaying like that. That's a nice way to calm them down. But, yeah, the arching back, the uncontrollable crying. This age they don't get the glazed sort of eyes, too young, so that's a good way to, mm. to tell. And what's your thoughts on white noise machines? Oh, I love, yeah, love white yeah. noise just as much as the dark room. They're like my two mm. environmental factors that, you know, imperative. Mm. Yeah. White noise is really good, but it's just it does need to be at a, a good volume to be effective. So I usually recommend around that level of a running shower is okay. yeah, quite quite a good volume because, yeah, they, they're little ears. They can't really hear. And is, oh, it, right. and is it best when you are out and about to kind of continue that? So, like, have it in the yeah, pram Yeah, so you as can well. just yeah, – I love the um the Sleepy Sounds app. It's really good. It's a free app. That's great. Um, and you can sort of set it for, um, you know, oh, up to 24 hours. So and you can choose any sound. But I do like sounds like the rain and sort of a consistent sound. Don't, yeah. I wouldn't put on, like – classical music or a lullaby or anything twinkle, like that twinkle. yeah you want something because well, you'll go insane <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> before the baby goes yeah. to sleep <laughs> but you want yeah you want a consistent sound because when they're falling asleep so they're transitioning to sleep they then have that partial wake up around 40 minutes like that's one sleep cycle we their little eyes will flicker and they'll sort of jolt around a little bit and then transition to another sleep cycle so when they do have that partial wake up we want them to recognize the same sound and the room's nice and dark or whatever and they can just fall back asleep so they're not like, hang on, there was music playing before because yeah. that's one thing with the white noise machines. Some of them either um, only play for 20 or 40 minutes, which, hello, that's like a baby sleep cycle, so they've the music stopped and they've woken up and the music's not on anymore. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, get one that's sort of continuous and get one that 
doesn't have batteries because the batteries will die as well. Yeah. So you want yeah one that either plugs in or an app. Mm. Yeah. I like the apps. Yeah. Um, with the white noise, I completely agree with you because when Yumi was born, we got the glow dream and the glow dreaming. And it's so funny, even today, if the power goes out and that turns off, yeah. her eyes go bing. Yeah. As soon as the music stops. And if I forget to put it on, I'm like, why are you not going to yeah. sleep? And it's because of the noise. Yeah. yeah. When, when can you generally stop doing that? Mm. Um, phase out the white noise. Yeah. So I actually recommend keeping it, like, even, you know, until they're napping. Like, if they're, you've got a two-year-old napping, why not have the white noise on? Because, yeah. you, you know, you can around. Out out the it acts as a buffer. And that's what we want. You know, get out there, prep your dinner or watch your with the Kardashians or something just yeah. you know don't feel like you have to tinker like stick mm. around them but you know when you've got a baby as well the crying isn't going to wake them up but you just turn the volume down a lot of babies great like a lot of toddlers you can just literally turn it off and they won't even start to know but um if you want to you can just gradually turn the volume down and it's not really an association and with um you know meal prepping being in the kitchen being at home during yeah. naps do you recommend recommend from the start just going about your day like at the same noise that you would have before you had a baby like get yeah. them used to that yeah. noise yeah, yeah. definitely yeah, yeah. To, you have to understand too and this is where um like it's funny because when you have a baby like you're like shh, shh baby, people <laughs> always, come over and you're like hello oh, the baby's like no it's the no. postman yeah he comes to the front gate Oh, it's fine. <laughs> I'm like, <"Woo!" laughs> um, in the womb, it is so loud. It's like they say it's around 90 decibels, which is equivalent to a lawnmower. So oh, you wow. imagine that it's so loud. So that's where I'm saying white noise. Like, I'll go to a home visit and I'll go, I'll just turn that up a little bit. Oh, will that not hurt them? Like, no, up to around 60 decibels is, is pretty healthy, which is the, the running shower level. My so, girlfriend had one and I'd walk in and I'm like, this sounds like a freight train. Oh. And she's like, he loves it. I'm like, yeah, does he? Silence but is he irritating does. for them, like as yeah. a newborn. Yeah. So that higher That's volume. so interesting. So you can imagine, yeah, like baby, like look now, we're sitting here talking so loud. You're mm. fine when you're out and about. And you're in a cafe or something, why? Oh, my gosh, this is right. My baby will sleep four hours here, but at home we'll sleep 20 minutes. Do you, think, do you think, though, when it is 2 a.m. Yeah. and your husband goes to the toilet and he walks down the hallway like an elephant? Oh, I've just got one of them. Boom, boom, boom. I'm like, that. And then that, slams the toilet seat. Yep, yeah, that's going to wake her up. <laughs> Is that? Or when he closes her door, I mean, like, when, the, when there's loud banging and stuff, I yeah. assume that's different to consistent it is, obviously, loud noise. Yeah. But, but then having that white noise too at the volume where it's they, can't, yeah. they can't hear, that's that buffer that we were talking about, um, that's where that can come into play. I feel like I, I, need, yeah. I need a white noise machine uh, in my room so I just relax. Yeah. Nice. Nice. yeah. yeah. Um, and when is a good time to move babies into their own room and what are your tips on doing that um so i recommend having day naps in their room sort of to begin with i find that that's always a nice way to you know get them used to their room um because what often can happen is we have a baby that's you know six seven eight months and they're still in mum and dad's room and they've never had a nap in their room and by this age they're quite aware they're either some babies can even be standing at eight months of age yeah. or, or they're all sitting usually and they're in their cotton 
what's this room? I've never been in here. And um, But even just starting to get them used to their room by having some playtime in there in the day and, and um, yeah, day naps are great in there. So SIDS do sort of like you to room share up, you know, to at least six months of age. Mm-hmm. So um, but when, yeah, did you when the time's you? right for you. I'm not saying that's what I, I did with my kids. Yeah, I think we did for at my, four months. Yeah, I did four months I had very well. noisy sleepers. Like, yeah. And I, our bedrooms were literally like the door frames touched. So I was going to say the house we were in then is quite an old house and the walls were like paper. Yeah. So like we had a monitor but it didn't yes. actually tell us anything that we couldn't hear already. Yeah, exactly. I, know, so, yeah. Yeah. I also went off the fact that you know, if she slept for a more solid amount, then I don't have to phys- – like I could actually get up and go into her room, whereas when they're newborns, God, it's like every hour or two hours these oh, cluster feeds. Oh, you'd be doing 10,000 yeah. steps. So, yeah, <laughs> so you, I probably should have done it. But, you know, that's why I'd have it closer yeah. in my room. So, yeah. And they do – so babies, it can work either way really because they can – Work, they can sleep better because they, they know you're there and they they can smell you or they can also wake more because they can smell you and they, mm. they do, especially if it's breast milk. So, mm. yeah. I found that popping And every move you make too. But I, I don't know. I always found too that I was just on edge because I could hear every little grunt mm. for probably an hour it. before they actually woke for the feed because they'd start. <clears throat> and that's normal, isn't it? Oh, completely normal. But, yeah. and Yeah, you know, I felt that um, Poppy immediately slept slightly like longer in her yes. own room yeah yeah definitely and and honestly that's pretty much the general consensus with most parents that i speak to yeah. but they're so um, loud when ones. you're ready when you're ready when they're sleeping yeah, yeah so they nice. grunt and they yeah, get a bit grown and you're yeah, like but oh. when they're loud or quiet both freak you out I they know, do yeah when mm. they're in that deep sleep it is honestly you they <laughs> don't even move do they like are they, yeah. are they so both, yeah, yeah both are um, moving on to kind of the next section, can you explain what a sleep cycle is? Because I know we've already spoken about it a little bit, but I imagine there'll be some people listening that don't really understand what that is. Yeah, sure. So um, the sleep cycles form, um, as we said, they become quite prominent around that 12, 14 week mark uh, when they're starting to produce their own sleep hormones. And for a little, like for a baby or a child, they're around 40 minutes of a day. So the first 10 minutes, they're sort of getting into, um, she's so cute. Um, they're getting into falling into a deep sleep. And then by the 10, between 10 to 20 minutes, they're in that deep sleep, 20 to 30 minutes, they're coming out of it. And then that's when they transition into another sleep cycle around the 40 minute mark. So that's where you see that cat napping happen if they're either um, really relying on something to fall asleep and then resettle mm. or over tiredness, you start to see that they sort of only get one sleep cycle and they're awake. Overnight for a newborn, they're around four to six hourly, but then come around that four-month mark, they start to go two to four hourly. So you see those wake-ups become a little bit more overnight where you think, I have this really good. My baby's only waking once or twice and then all of a sudden they're waking three times so my newborn cycle is not four to six hours <laughs> just yet i'm putting that out <laughs> oh no she's like maybe feeding three hours yeah. so it's like a two hour sleep mm. in between the next she's she, yeah it's, it's fine that's it yeah that's the killer isn't it the feed takes so long the yeah. nappy change <laughs> yeah because you think oh waking up every three hours you is look fine, like you've had about 10 hours sleep oh, you're bloody radiating it's ridiculous i haven't even brushed my teeth by this time when i'm <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks. Uh, moving on. Because <laughs> I'm getting embarrassed. I know. She's getting all flushed. <laughs> and what are some good things to implement if you do have a catnapper that's waking up um, with every sleep cycle to try yeah. and get them to link them? Uh, so... Obviously, you know, dark room, white noise, really important in terms of environmental factors. Then I guess you need to look at to how they're falling asleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and more often than not, um, it'll be something like they're falling asleep with a dummy or they're falling asleep on the breast and, or bottle and being placed into the cot um, or being, you know, rocked to sleep and then putting put in the cot when they're fully asleep. So... Um, and, you know, again, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But if that catnapping is, you know, a problem for you and you just you can't cope with that anymore, then they're the sort of things you need to look at. It's implementing those environmental factors and looking at teaching your little one to fall asleep without those associations. One thing I always stress to my clients too is we need to be mindful that we can't expect a baby to resettle if they can't self-settle. Right. You can't, like, it's just not possible. How can you expect them to be able to link sleep cycles if they can't actually put themselves to begin with? And how do you... It's it's a learned skill. Sleep is a learned skill. You need to know how to put yourself to sleep, to stay asleep. So um, it's not just something they're born knowing how to do. So, yeah, you just gently and gradually teach them how to fall asleep independently without those props um, or sleep associations. So there's lots of different ways to do that, and I always like to give my clients options because um there really is no one size fits all every parent is different every parenting style is different every child is different so just because you might choose one method it might not be right for your baby even though you're comfortable with it might not be the right one for your Mm. baby's personality and I as a sleep consultant don't know what your child's personality is but you can say to me look I really think that Goldie is going to respond best to this mm-hmm. and my partner and I are both really comfortable using this method so we're going to choose this one there's no point in me just saying this is what you got to do and um, because if you're not cons- if you're not comfortable with it you're not going to be consistent with it how long should you stick with one method before realizing that maybe it's not the right one for you or your child um look the and I think this is another thing to be really mindful of too it doesn't really matter sort of if you choose a method that you're sitting by the cot and you're patting your child and you're with the child or if you're coming in and out of the room. It doesn't really matter which one you choose. Baby's probably going to protest and, and fuss a lot more than they normally do, but they're okay. They're showing them what to do, but um, stick with it for a couple of days. I would probably give it three or four days before you make the decision to say, you know what, I really don't feel we're getting anywhere with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Yeah, but that's when I would sort of sit down with my client and say, hey, look, I really think you're making progress here. Um, I want you just to give it another day and if we don't see anything change, then I'll, you know, we'll reassess and go from there. Mm. But, yeah, these things take time. Like, again, if your baby's six months old, they've, they've only known what they've been doing for six months. So, like, it's going to take that small amount of time to unlearn what they've learnt, I guess. And it's pretty incredible I've done slip training with two of mine and I did it at eight months and obviously we'll talk about that um, a little bit down the track, but I, it took one to two days. Oh yeah. Like they just snap out of it and it is a brutal one to two nights or three nights, but it works. Yeah. Um, We can talk about sleep training itself now and then we'll circle back to toddler sleep and that kind of thing because I feel like we've kind of touched on it enough that maybe we should um, speak about 
more the kind of nitty-gritty of what sleep training is and how it works. The one thing I wanted to ask was how does nursing and feeding affect um, sleep training and sleeping? Yeah. So do you mean... Um, or for like example, if they're feeding to sleep, I or, I go in, yeah, with Yumi, and I'm about to wean her off these night feeds because she is a huge eater. She eats yeah. three meals and snacks. She breastfeeds, and if I'm not home, she has some formula. Yeah, um, but she is now waking up out of habit during yeah. the night and does these little flutter sucking um, sleep association feeds yeah. that we both don't need to get up for. So I feel like now what I have been doing is a, a sleep association where I go in the room, put her in her bag, sit in the chair, I feed her yeah. or my husband feeds her a bottle if yeah. I'm not there. We put her down grab her little jelly cat, she goes to sleep. So every time she wakes up, she's like, oh, I need a feed again yeah. because that's, that's what mum does. That's her way to wind down, to go to sleep. So she knows you come in the room. This is what we're talking about before, coming in, mm. putting the sleeping bag on and, and winding down. So that's a wind-down routine. And I guess in Yumi's case, that's what she's looking for in between her sleep cycles overnight, which are those two to three hours. Yeah. Uh, sorry, two to four hours um, overnight. So... Yeah, I guess just disassociating that. So maybe replacing the feed um, with a book or a song mm. or something that you can sustain. So still go in and pop the sleeping bag on, sit in the chair and do your book and your song, but maybe don't feed her before the sleep. Um, and you do would, it when she wakes. Right, yeah, okay. So do the, wake, the feed on wake up. Yeah. So even if you still wanted to, for peace of mind, offer a little bit of a feed before she went to sleep because you thought, you know, she hasn't, just while you're transitioning, like trying to swap it around, you just offer a little one out in the lounge room yeah. or something, then go into the room, mm-hmm. sit in the chair, do your book or your song, sleeping bag, into bed. And that's not a big amount of stimulation with the book or anything like no, that? No, so nice I would, little... if she has the white noise on, um, you, um, but I would probably not have your bright lights on if you've just got a lamp or something, do yes. it with a lamp on or just dim your lights if you've got a dimmer. Um, but, yeah, those sort of things, I wouldn't be sitting out in the lounge room with the TV on having a story or a song. I'd do it all in the <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. those sort of things. And then when Yumi, for example, wakes up during the night expecting yeah. the same thing, do you do a book and a song then? No. 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 So the line down just before nap, before her nap and then before bedtime at night, um, overnight. I was going to yeah. say, Jane yeah. will be like, just feed. I'm, yeah. sick. I'm sick of feeling like a wiggle. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no. So overnight, that's where you would, I guess, implement that consistent approach and method mm-hmm. when and you, you would need to speak, you know, to your partner and get one that you're both on board with. Um, so yeah, you can be consistent with Yeah. <laughs> what, what are you happy to listen to me doing? Yeah, Dal. <laughs> Do you know that I'm up three yeah. times a night? And so examples of those types of things are patting next to the bed, um, leaving them to cry. It really depends on the age too. So right. um yeah look to be honest from probably two years of age the methods go they completely change so then it's about like boundaries and rules and just being really like I know that sounds strict but it's not strict it's just about having clear expectations and not you know not entering negotiating battles with Um, no no more water no you've already been to the toilet again you're not come on not coming out now no more tv into bed like just not entering those negotiating battles because all you're ending up with is an overtired child like toddler that knows what they want and this is slightly it's on topic but off topic 
just quickly, it's funny that you mentioned that because I am really struggling with my five and six-year-old getting them to bed. I know it's school holidays, yeah. but they are like, oh, oh, yeah, I've brushed my teeth, but I'm really thirsty. And, oh, no, 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 I'm hungry. I need more wheat bigs. And then, oh, can you come and tickle my book tickle my book (laughs) can you tickle my back I need you to read a book by the time this is all done I know and we sit there on the couch and we're like no this should have been way easier yeah so with those old smart yeah they know what they're doing how do you you break that cycle do you just go that is it yeah so yeah I guess you do need to get pretty um strict with yeah just I guess your girl's age, they're at that age where you can't, they comprehend things. So yeah. you can have like, you know, your your rewards chart and things like that. Like, no, this is what happens at bedtime. Um, something I find works good with younger, like younger children too and your ch- children's age is um, giving them like a, I know it sounds silly, but like a, um, a leave pass or something so they can get one thing where, you know, they come out of their room once. Well, that's a good idea. To ask for something once they've used it. No, no more. Mummy just walks you back, tucks you in, gives you a kiss and I'm out again. Yeah. I'm not not negotiating with you that's the end like so then they're not freaking out that it's like well if i need to go to the toilet or i'm actually thirsty mum's not gonna let me get something yeah yeah Yeah. um and would you recommend reading them all the book like i get to like that time and i'm like you me billy mia like i'll be here for like 10 hours yeah oh i know exhausting after a full day yeah um so i guess well my two older girls are the same as as yours um and they're um, we try to do more um, like their home reader at the kitchen bench while they're doing mm-hmm. eating dinner. So we do the home readers then. So when they get to bed, they get to read their Ella and Olivia book or something. Mm-hmm. So I go five minutes with your lamps on um, and they actually, we lay down and just do meditation. So they have five minutes listening to the meditation um, app. That so they just lay there brilliant. and it's kids meditation. And it's really good. So they lay there, it's just breathing exercises. So you have your... And then after five minutes, um, they, great way of they it turns them off and I say, okay, yeah, time for bed now. What and do I, you use? What meditation? Is yeah, it an app? app. Yeah, so an app. Any, so, any um, specific one? There's Well, there's a few. can't remember. Okay. I'll have I, a look. I've, got a few, I've got it on my phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll um, link them in the show. Yeah, I've got a few. Great. I can show you them. Um, but, yeah, the um, kids meditation, there's like um, – and there's ones for toddlers as well. It's called um, – Animal meditation. So if you Google Adam, animal meditation, you'll find some, but they're awesome. And it's so calming to people. Totally they're calming for to you too. And yeah. you're like, oh, end of the night. Well, I hear it because I'm usually like tinkering around outside in the hallway or clean up all the wet bath towels that are everywhere. So I hear it and I'm like, all zen. So <laughs> what time do your girls go to bed at that um, age? So Hattie's, Hattie's just turned four. So she goes to bed first. Like she honestly goes to bed. Between 6.30, 7 o'clock, she's asleep. Yeah. Um, but she's my early riser. So she's always up between quarter past 6, 6.30. That's her. And I'm, yeah. ha- I'm happy with that. Like, I'm up early anyway. Um, yeah. But that's just been her all her life, and I'm I'm happy with that. I just know that she needs to go to bed early. Yeah. Um, if I try to hold her out, shoot, until 7.30, 8 o'clock or whatever, which she does occasionally when we're yeah. out we have no choice. But I just know the next morning she's going to be... Because she'll up. still wake up at quarter past six. Yeah, she'll still wake. She doesn't yeah. compensate for it and sleep no. later. Me so. is the same. So if she went to bed at 9.30 and she's being really cheeky at night, staying yeah. up watching movies and, you know, just school holiday stuff, 
she will wake up at 5.30 regardless of what time she went to bed. Yeah. It does not matter. No, it doesn't matter. Um, but Elkie and Minka are going into year one and year two. So they're six and seven. So they go to bed. We're usually in bed. So I wait for Hattie to fall asleep and then we get to go up with them too. They put their meditation on at like, you know, just before seven and they'd be asleep after everything by, you know, quarter past, half past seven. Unreal. But then they both sleep till you know, 7.30, quarter to 8. Are you kidding? 8 o'clock, yeah. Elkie loves sleep. Have they always done that? Um, Elkie always has since I slept, sleep trained her when she was 10 months. Um, I slept trained her and she's always been like, she needs sleep. She does not function without sleep. But They've Mink, done this Mink ever was, since um, she listened to the podcast. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Um, Minka, um, though, was she used to be an early riser and I had to sort of get on top of that. So she's only probably in the last oh, 18 months started sleeping past sort of 6.30. And the um, girls share a room? No, they've all got no. their own rooms. They used yeah. to up until like 18 months ago. Is that a problem? I do find that my two, because they share a room, yeah. one wakes them up. Like, they, they do wake each other up yeah. in the morning going, oh. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think so. Like, at the moment we're in the caravan and they're all sleeping fine. They just come out one by one when they get up. But, um, yeah, at home. At home they just, they don't even. 7.30. Because Poppy's 7.30 too, isn't she? Mm-hmm. i got to change some but, shit. But <laughs> pop, so Poppy's nearly two. Yeah. And she'll generally wake up at 7.30, quarter to 8. Yeah. But I can't get her down at night in the moment until 8 o'clock. Yeah. Is that too late for a two-year-old? So, look, if she was waking early, I'd say, look, let's bring yeah. that time back. But if that time's working for you. I would love her to go down slightly earlier. Yeah. So I guess a child's going to generally do 12 hours overnight, yeah. 11 to 12 hours at that age. So, um you, you know, you're not, you're definitely not losing out. She's obviously no, on that 7.30. I'm not complaining. 7.30 to 7.30 yeah. schedule, which is completely fine. Yeah. Um, I guess it probably works too. You know, you can be out a bit later if you need to um, and know you get a little bit of a sleep. I mean, but, and it's actually probably good now with a newborn because it means that, yeah. you know, she's not the one waking me up. Like Poppy's yeah. not the one waking me up in the morning. Yeah. Like I'm already awake. Yeah. So, Yeah. It, yeah, it, it works. Both have their yeah. pros and cons, don't they? Absolutely. So. The other question I had while we're on this age bracket is Billy is five years of age mm-hmm. and I, like, she she needs, I know they shouldn't be napping, but yeah. she is such a better person when she naps. Yeah. And, but then when she does nap, she doesn't go to bed until yeah. later. So it's sort of like a Psych- double-ended sword, really. Yeah. And I guess, well, she's studying kindergarten. Not a double-ended <laughs> dildo, Sophie. Grow up. You're a mum of two. It's a double-edged sword or a double-ended dildo. There's no such thing as a yeah. double-ended sword. I'm blending. You would be able to hold it. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> when do um, kids generally stop napping? Generally... Anywhere between um, two and a half, three is a good age to start cutting it back. Some babies will, like some toddlers will sleep, you know, until they go to school. Like Billy um, might still, you know, she's starting to go It's a rarity. But, but I guess if your child is going to bed at 9 o'clock at night, it's probably not a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably a sign that they don't need that nap anymore. And that's mainly yeah. the signs yeah, to Yeah, you get can tell. Of. Yeah, definitely. And what are some ways that you can get rid of that nap? Um, so I would just 
cut it back. Like if, if they're having two hours, you might go to an hour mm-hmm. and you might just go to half an hour, 40 mm-hmm. minutes or something. Um, but oh, so if they fall asleep in the car, let them for like even half yeah, hour and then have them up. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, but, yeah, so um, or if you decide, if they're only having an hour and you decide just to cut it out altogether, bring bedtime forward, just aim for an early yeah. night that night, be prepared that they're going to, you know, you want, to, you want to get them before they get overtired because that's when mm. thing falls to shit. Like mm-hmm. you just, you know, yeah, you need to get it, get on top of it before they reach that overtired yeah. crazy phase. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, back to sleep training. Mm-hmm. So you said a good time to start implementing sleep routines and that kind of thing is around four months. Yeah, so you can start trying like a loose routine from around 12 weeks or something, but don't put pressure on yourself. Like just try to have, you know what, I know you only have three naps now we're going to aim for three sort of decent naps rather than five short naps and you can start working on those sort of things but from four months it's it, it will like as you say make your life much easier having that routine mm. it's a bit of predictability they're not overtired and and around that 12 week four month yeah. time do you normally say so like nap feed when they wake up from a nap awake yeah. for an hour and a half sleep yeah. is that generally yeah. what you yeah. say yes yeah. yeah so feed play sleep premature babies do you yeah. normally go off their corrected you just do the same um, thing off corrected so age? it depends on how like premature we're talking yeah. um if it's only two weeks i wouldn't stress too much about it but from around up until um six months of age we start um then just going off corrected age yeah uh, sorry actual age yeah but before that's corrected yeah. yeah so yeah so if and is it ever too late to sleep train your child no never no, no. it just depends what when you're methods ready. you use yeah, yeah 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 it all just changes as i said like we would use completely different methods with a two and a half year old than we would with a four month old the and biggest the biggest thing i get i remember what i i was thinking before was the when your child <laughs> gets sick or they go through the four-month sleep regression yeah. or any regression or they're teething, we always come up with excuses. Oh, well, we can't. We have to put it off because, you know, like they're teething. Do you recommend putting it off when they're going through these things or do you just go, it is what it is? Like it's hard. Uh, look, the thing is with teething, they teeth till they're two and a half. <laughs> so, you know, you can either sort of keep making those. They're, they're, if your child, I guess, can't self-settle or they're really overtired, they're probably always going to seem like something's wrong and um, like they're teething or they're mm. going through a re- regression. And, I mean, teething um, is so vague that oh, literally any sign of tiredness yeah. is the oh, same as a sign of yeah. teething. And once you've got a child like that like, can self-settle and they're, you know, they're a good sleeper. Your teething probably won't be that big of a deal for you. Yeah. Right? Yeah, of course, they're probably a little bit more irritable than normal, which is completely normal. But, um, yeah, you find they actually, when you're not well, you know yourself, you generally you do just want to sleep. Yeah. You don't, yeah, you don't want to be up partying. Oh, one question I'll ask is to, is it um, how are they in the day? Are they like, because teething doesn't just come into play overnight. It's day and night. So mm. if your child's fine in the day but they're waking lots at night, I'd more than often say, well, probably not teething. But um, I guess starting your sleep training on a day that they're clearly teething yes, or yes, a yes. day that they clearly have a virus or something is oh, probably not, not the yeah. best. And I've worked with lots of babies too where it's like we get, you know, a couple of days in and I was like, oh, they've got a blocked nose, they're so stuffy. I'm like, let's just, you know, pull back, back a bit and yeah. we'll start again in, when she's better. Like, yeah. just don't, don't even stress about it. What is a realistic age that you feel like your child should be able to sleep through the night? 
So I, again, it really depends on the child. Um, yeah. Some some things I'll definitely look at is weight, weight gain. I wouldn't expect a child like under sort of six and a half kilos to really sleep through. And then also, I guess, looking at solid intake too because things like protein are really important for encouraging sleep as well. So once they're starting to have solids and they're getting a nice serve of protein, that's just that peace of mind for us as their parents said, hey, you know what, they're getting this now, maybe we need to start regulating their calories that they're getting overnight into the day. So yeah. if they're starting to have solids of a day, you know, if you've got an eight-month-old that's not eating much of a day but they're having like four feeds overnight, it's probably why they're not wanting solids yeah. and showing an interest yeah. in that. Um, um, so so yeah. you shouldn't really expect it until they're having solids? Uh, no, no. I, it definitely can happen before then, but I wouldn't put too much pressure on your child yeah. too. But, you know, four or five feeds overnight, they, they don't have that many in the day at that age. Yeah. yeah. Why would you? And they're stimulated night? during yeah. the day. Yeah. So why would they have so many overnight? So yeah. like, just little things like that that you need to go, hey, you know, maybe we just start going back to two instead of three and then you can go to one. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Firstly, should you leave the room while they're still awake? It depends what method you're using. Yeah. Like like I said, there's a few different methods. So it's what, what you're comfortable and your child oh, will work yeah. with. What you, yeah, what you uh, feel that you can so stick with and you're comfortable with. I walk out when they're awake. Yep. And they Perfect. just know I'm there. Sophie? I walk out when they're awake. I guess if they're falling asleep with you in there, it's the same as you then falling asleep with the like dummy or something like they're going to wake looking for that because that's what they just start to, to know yeah like, and that's what they start to associate with falling to sleep like there's you know nothing wrong with that but then you could start I guess gradually moving to being there when they getting drowsy and then walking out of the room um if you want that like sort of nice slow transition that's a nice gentle way to do it but I do a three a three six and eight minute method so um if she cries the first time I wait three minutes and I set a timer on my phone I actually used to have this um screensaver that said don't give up I'd put (laughs) headphones it's serious yeah sleep training is serious I'd put headphones with music on Mm. and for that three minute stint yeah I wouldn't take them off and then I would see how that cry is going yeah. Walk back in, patch, walk back out. The next time would be six minutes, yeah. then eight minutes, and I'd repeat eight minutes if I needed to. Never do. Yeah. Never do. They usually, yeah, they usually fall asleep. So is that okay? Like is that yeah, a method? Yeah, yeah. That, that is a method. It's referred to as um, space, space soothing. Mm-hmm. So it's basically responding to your child according to their cries. Because as you can imagine yourself – as an adult trying to fall asleep, like you do, you lay there, you lay there, you think about things, you might look through your phone. Brad and Jen. Think about all, yeah. Brad, Brad and Jen. Brad and Jen, yeah, exactly. Um, so you're thinking about all those things that have happened in the day or things you want to do tomorrow. It's just your way of winding down. You might read a book, look at your phone, whatever. But for a little baby or a child, they do sort of, you know, ah, roll around. Ah, they might throw their comforter around, make noises. If you constantly have someone coming in every minute, opening that door, letting the light in and checking on you, it's so stimulating. Mm. You can be pissed off as an adult. Like a little child's so stimulated easily. So just giving them that little bit of space and listening to them and, hey, uh, I think they're starting to get a little bit upset now. I'll just give them a couple of minutes just to see if they can naturally wind down and calm themselves. If not, I'm going to go in and reassure them, hey, mommy's still here. It's okay, darling. For nine hours, here's your, your comfort us. Lay them down if they're standing up or sitting. And just, yeah, a little bum pad if needed just to calm them down and reassure them that you're close by but it's time to go to sleep. Would, 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 I, start, would I start that sleep timer from the minute they start grizzling or when they're actually genuinely upset? 
yeah, a, a proper cry. So okay. not a protest cry or a grizzle. So leave it, leave it. And, as soon and you as can that... tell, like, it's it can, it's consistent. It doesn't have pauses. It doesn't stop and start, those sort of cries. Oh, but... it makes you feel different in your spine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Your, your heart hurts. Um, Once you know the cry, you know yeah. the cry. <laughs> and it's because, like, we don't want to be going in and overstimulating them, but you just don't want to have that inconsistent reinforcement of I'm just coming in constantly and I teaching a... you to cry harder and harder just for me to. I did a different method where based on their age, yeah. you would leave them to cry for a different amount of time. Oh. Oh, like a minute per month? Um, oh, it, it wasn't like it, I, it was like from a book. Yeah. So I, um, yeah, depending on their age, it had a different amount of time. But she had said, once you go in, don't leave again. But yeah. have you found that, it, you know, going in and out but leaving them for enough time works better than going in and staying in and yeah. just passing. Yeah, so I guess like um, with the different methods, if it's an in-the-room method, I start in the room. I mm-hmm. say to my clients, you start in the room, you stay in the room till you're 100% sure they're asleep. Right. I mean, I just sort of, I um, obviously it worked what you did. I'm not sure. I'd have to see what, exactly yeah, yeah. what it was. But um, I would just be more concerned that you're sort of just teaching them to cry. And then just to come stay back there. in. Yeah, yeah. like uh, that's where I'm just sort of a bit confused. But obviously it worked what you did. Yeah. So. A, a good one for if you've got one child, I think that if you have more than one, yes. you can't physically yeah. stay in a room and for allow 20 that. minutes no. paying them, waiting but for them to go to sleep. saying that, I actually, um, during the night when I first sleep trained Mia, I put a mattress down and I just had my hand, every time she cried, I just like pat. And that yeah. was the first night. And then the second night I'd go into my bed and I'd yell out, you know, yeah. that's okay, mummy's here. And yeah. Then, you yeah. know, so. Yeah. Whereas with the third, you're like, I cannot put a mattress on your yeah. floor. <laughs> so we do, yeah, a lot of methods like that where you're gradually sort of removing yourself from the room. So you start off 100% by the cot, just sitting there with your hand on them, patting till they're fully asleep, but then you're gradually moving a little bit further away from And that's for people who want a more gentle, less yeah. crying approach. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, look, I don't think that space soothing is not gentle like I believe it is still very gentle you're still reassuring them and responding to them according to their cries but I guess for the child that needs a lot of proximity and um and or the parent that that likes a bit more of that attachment style parenting as well that works really well does take a lot of patience because it can take a while like you could honestly be in that room for two weeks before you start to notice things are getting better right um but yeah, patience is is very important with that. The information that I found really comforting that you told me on the way up was about because I said, when do you know that they're absolutely, it's detrimental when they're crying? And you said something about... Oh, so, yeah, because we're doing small increments, like their, their cortisol levels aren't actually rising to a right. level that are going to be you know, detrimental to the child. What's, so, what's classed as a short increment? Well, I usually, I don't go really any higher than, um, as Jay said before, like three, five, and eight would probably be the right. highest I would do. If it's an older child and the parent wanted to do it, you know, maybe 18 months or something, I might do 10 minutes purely right. because that's there like my child's just getting so stimulated and we'll just alter that for them but with a younger baby we might just do two and four minutes like we right. might not go any higher than that so yeah. it's just giving them that little bit of space but yeah I always alter it according to the child's age and what I believe how like how much they have been assisted to sleep mm. so because if- we had um because we put out a question thing on Instagram and got so many responses and and most of them were you know really keen to hear about sleep training but a few people did write in saying stop making normal sleep 
you know, seem abnormal. Yeah, yeah. Um, crying it out is detrimental to the baby and harmful. Yeah. Like what is your response so to that? Cry it out is different to space soothing because yeah. cry it out is essentially you put them in, you close the door and you don't come back until they're right. asleep. So you're not even responding to them. Right. And uh, with the space soothing, you're obviously responding to the child right. according to their cries, according to their needs, and um, you're offering reassurance. So that's where um, their cortisol levels, stress hormones aren't rising, and like they're they're only small increments, so they're not letting their cortisol levels. So this has been monitored. Yeah, they, they've done studies on is these. Is it up yeah. to a certain amount of minutes that that is? Um, so there's been studies where they've done it, like you know. Past like you know twenty minutes. Let her cry it out. So yeah, so yeah, like small increments. To be honest, you would if you think about your child's probably cried more in the car driving home from the shops when they need a feed or (laughs) their dummy put back in or something. So it's not we're not leaving them. um, But but yeah, in terms of sleep training, that's not your only option. That is an option, but it's not your only option. There is plenty of options where you're sitting by the clock or you're picking your child up if they start to cry, then you're laying them back down when they're calm. There's plenty of methods, but I just discuss these with my clients according to to what they... So there are ways, so there is are ways that you could teach your child to self-settle with no crying at all. Well, or they, do you think well, they it will, requires? They will cry, but you pick them up when they cry. Yeah. So it's not you're not leaving the room. Like yeah. you're not leaving them to sort of. I like them. that you have a wide variety of choices. You know, you don't open a book and you're like, "This is it." Yeah. And this yeah. if this does not work, One then you go to someone else. You've got you actually adapt to how parents feel. Yeah. How they they respond with their child. And I think that is probably the most important thing as a parent to be understood and what choices don't you do. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think too, a lot of people often, and I'm very much the same. They they just want to they just want an answer. They just want to be told what to do, and they'll do it. They're like, "Can you just tell me what I've got to do, and I'll do it?" So when I'll, I'll say, "Okay, these are your choices. What, what would you like to do?" Um, and yeah, and more often than not, they'll just do it because yeah. they're ready they're so ready yeah. when they've come to me i know they're at that point yeah where and ready. basically the more gentle and less crying often the longer it will take but it's a more attached method yeah and then the more that there is that you know space yeah being um given generally the quicker yeah so work. so yeah with the space soothing um type method that one does generally were pretty quick like I yeah. you said before it was one or two nights mm-hmm. and you found like you know started sleeping through the other ones yeah again you, you do need to commit yourself either way like to be 100 yeah. percent consistent for a couple of weeks but you're probably not going to find results as quick with the other one you need to be so patient probably um with the other two methods um i would say allocate a good week before you start to notice small improvements but just focus every single day on one small win, okay? My small, small win for today was that I tried in the court for mm. – even, tr- even though it took her 40 minutes to fall asleep, I tried and I got her there and I did it. And yeah. that's your small win. She might have only slept for 20 minutes after that, but you did it. Yeah. And that's your small win and you pulled that bandaid off. The next day it might be, you know what, today it only took me 20 minutes and I did it. And I, I think just important. notice those small wins every single day yeah. and those small wins all add up to make you big – win at the end totally i think it's important though with this whole process 
you don't go backwards because yeah. I think that affects a child as well when they go backwards and you, they go, oh, well, hang on, she's just, yeah. mm. I've just got her back is. in the in the room again. So, you know, I feel like if you just, as hard as it is, and God, it's, it's so funny because I'm going to do this tonight or tomorrow and I'm just going to laugh at myself and listen to this <laughs> and be like, you're such fucking full of shit. But <laughs> no, it's true. I, you have to stay strong you and do. that's why I didn't that screen It's safer. very normal two for your child to actually take a few steps back so you'll take 10 steps forward and then you might take five back but just get back be really consistent for it and that's complete it's called a um an extinction extinction burst so they start to basically have almost like a little regression to the sleep training and um they sort of go hang on this wasn't what used to happen this isn't what happens and yeah just consistent for another day or so and then it'll all fall back into place and if they're standing up or you know they start to roll over and they cry it depends yeah. on obviously where you're at when you're sleep training but you don't have to go in there and put them down they'll learn not to you know like Yumi at the moment she stands up and cries yeah out at the cot yeah so every time I go in I now feed her and then put her down but will she just go to will she lay down if I just don't go in there in that time frame yeah so you'll find so every time you do a check-in or if you're in the room with her every time you're going to the court like you would lay her down yeah if she's sitting lay them down if she's standing lay her down but eventually she just won't a child has been putting the cot constantly asleep they don't actually know it seems silly they don't know to lay down and close oh, their eyes to go so to sleep true. because they're putting the cot asleep. So I recommend laying them down, brushing your head over their forehead and down their nose to show them to close their eyes because, again, they're putting this cot asleep so they don't know as, as much as it's mm. easy for us. They don't know to close their eyes, lay down and go to sleep. I actually, I had, um, yeah, sleep trained Poppy around six months and she was sleeping through the night and the hardest point of sleep that I found was when she was around nine, ten months and had learnt to pull the stand yeah. and was doing it in the cot and yeah. I was just like I am never going to sleep yeah. again um, and she just did, she would just stand up and freak out and just not know how, how the hell do I get from here to a sleep? Yeah. And I would go in there and I would lie her down and sometimes I would lay her down 15 times and finally she understood that, like, oh, to go to sleep I need to be lying yeah. down. Yeah. And, you know, things got back to normal. But I remember at that point just being like, you know, I'd been so used to sleep again yeah. and just being yeah. like, well, what is, yeah. Developmental milestones do impact sleep. And a lot of them coincide with re- their regressions. But, yeah, um, yeah talking, walking, um, crawling, sitting, standing—they all impact. Have an impact. It's every few weeks, really. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, there's something. Can we talk about like what is a regression and what are the main, most common regressions? Yeah. So obviously, the four month is the dun, dun, the doozy. That's the yeah. worst. Yeah, and that one, you know, when it hits. So um, we sort of touched on that before about how they start to develop their own sleep hormones, and you notice those sleep cycles become apparent. With those sleep cycles, become an overtired child, and that's when you notice, obviously. Not only have their sleep cycles overnight gone from four to six hourly, they're now two to four hourly. If they're overtired, they could be waking every hour, two hours. So those sort of things, that is the four-month regression. And those changes are permanent. Um, like they're not something that they're just, just not a phase they're going to go through. Most right. of the, the regression sort of only lasted two weeks maybe. The four-month regression changes are permanent. So there's something right. you need to sort of work on. Um but, yeah, work on a few things like environmental factors, maybe if, you know, working on 
a good routine um, so that their awake windows aren't too long, which then generates an overtired baby, which then doesn't nap very well. Um, so those sort of things. Then there's also um, all the other ones are more like, I guess they're classified as regressions, but they're actually progressions because they are your baby progressing mm. in their development. So um, there's the um, six month, the eight and 10 month, 12 month. Uh, eight and ten month, eight and ten, oh, the eight and ten month is like basically it's a combined one. So it's anywhere between eight to ten months, but it's coincides with all those developmental milestones we're talking about yes. before. The dropping of the third nap too. So that sort of drops around eight months, whereas some people where hold on to it a bit longer. Mm. Um, so that then impacts sleep. The 12 month is to do with people think it's time to drop to one nap and the baby shows signs that they're ready to drop to one nap, but it's that regression. So what I recommend is just for two weeks while you sort of ride it out, try to offer one nap every second day and then the other day offer the two. And you'll probably find by the end of those two-week period they're back to having two good naps. And then there's the 18-month one as well. So that's sort of when you've dropped to one, <laughs> one nap and, yeah, have you just been through it? Probably not long oh, ago. Yeah, so 18 months was shocking because I was in the first trimester of pregnancy yeah. and we were dropping to one nap yeah. and sh- Poppy would nap for 40 minutes in the entire day. Yeah. And I remember everyone was like, oh, it's so good when they go to one nap. Like mm. you you get so much freedom back, yeah. all this stuff. And I was like, you're all sick. Yeah. This is the worst <laughs> thing ever. But worst, I, I yeah. had to get rid of one because it was, she yeah. was just was so impossible to put to yeah, sleep at night. Does that mean that she slept um, longer in that one in the end? Oh, and now she sleeps yeah. for an hour and 45 to two yeah, hours. Perfect. And it's great because it's the middle of the day. I mean, the only good thing about when she was sleeping for 40 minutes in the day was she'd go to bed at 6 p.m. And I was like, goodbye. Yeah, but I out. was just, you know, I was pretty unwell in that first trimester. Yeah. And she would wake up after 40 minutes and I would just cry. Yeah, um, but I stuck with it and then it ended up being really good. But we had so many questions about, yeah, the two-to-one nap seems yeah. to be something that really um, mm, gets is. people. What's your tips on when uh, to do it, yeah. like what signs and how to do it? Mm. Yeah. So as I said, you'll get those signs with the um, the twelve month regression. But honestly, it's a very very small minority of babies can actually go to one nap at twelve months. Like very small, and I wouldn't recommend it. Um, they still do need to, but I would recommend. So between fifteen to eighteen months is a good time to cut down to yeah. one nap, transition to one nap. But you really need to, I guess, ensure that your morning nap short. And then your lunch nap's long. So you want to get them used to having a nice, long, consolidated lunch in the middle of the day, not in the morning. And this is where, like, Yumi at nine, ten months, this is the same thing. Get her a short nap in the morning. Yeah. Then the bigger one in the afternoon, and then she should be okay for bedtime. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's really important because he can't the the last nap to remain is the lunchtime nap so you want them to be able to be used to having a good lunch yeah nap there. you don't want to just drop a two-hour morning nap and then expect them to be able to have a, a long nap lunch nap they need to get used so to you that. would say you would start waking them up yeah start yeah start yeah. trimming down the morning nap half an hour maximum in the morning for a baby of you know 15 to 18 months of age yeah. and then you would go to two hours at lunch what about yeah. a um baby at nine or ten months? yes how old how long would she sleep in the morning um, well i think if she's used to having a big nap i'd cut it down to like 45 see cutting have, it down seems really really brutal on me 
But it, it's better in the end. So how long did if, you... If she's waking early, then that's like a sign to me that in the morning that's probably too long too because what happens uh-huh. is as well, like they get used to, if she's used to having a long morning nap, they, as their awake windows get bigger as they get older, they naturally don't start to cut down that nap themselves. They they know that they're getting that big Mm. hour and a half to two hour nap so I don't need to wake at seven anymore I can start waking at six because I can stay awake for two hours now so they don't just cut that nap down it is interesting so she woke up at six yeah I would put her down when so for her age we'd be sort of looking at around like ideally I would probably say first nap 9 30 but I'm basing that off a seven to sort of seven schedule but if she's doing six to six then you probably would aim for an 8.30 nap. So two and a half hours in the morning, but obviously we want to probably, unless the 6 a.m. wake-up is working for you, I would probably try and stretch her out a bit more. Um, I'd love to stretch her out. I'll stretch her out till 9 if I can. Yeah. So And then you because you're only offering a small morning nap anyway, it doesn't really change what time. Like she's not going to be waking any later because you've pushed the nap back. It's only so up at 6, down at 8.30, then 10.30, then she's up for 11, 12, 1, 2. Well, we don't want to have him two hours in the morning. Oh, no, half an hour or an hour. I'd probably give her 45 if she's been used to having yeah, an hour. Hey, okay, I've got an idea. If you want a personal yes. sleep <laughs> <Taylor> assessment. <laughs> this is general advice, not Jane's home appointment. Not Yumi's advice, but anyone that has a 9 or 10 month, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Start cutting down that morning nap and then. Yeah, because we, had, we had lots of questions about what to do if you have a child that is an early riser, like 4.30, yeah. 5 a.m. Oh, what are your tips for that? Um, so, so I guess it's the morning nap. Mm. Well, it's not always the morning nap, but I, I think because I've spoken to Jade about this earlier, I sort of had an idea of what was going on. She's trying to get some free tips on the way out. <laughs> but I will say, because there were so many questions, we do have to keep it general. Yeah, no, and I we think do. if people want yeah. specifics, and contact I, at and, the sleep teacher. Yeah, and can we just um, let everyone know? Can they contact you via Instagram or what's the yeah, best way to contact um, you? Yeah, so Instagram or my website um, has like a inquiry box as well. So if you send that, that'll come through to me on email or you can email me. And you do lives every now and then as well. I do do you? lives, yeah. Cool. Yes, I do. Um, so, yeah, so you can check We'll put there. all this info yeah, in yeah. the show notes too. But, yes, yeah. early rise. So, yeah, it's a killer and um, it's honestly been something I've dealt with with my own kids um, a lot, especially having my youngest. She's was horrendous like I've been in the trenches myself with a child that was like waking at 450 445 it was horrible but you do need to be very mindful of the things that are contributing to that um lots of things overtiredness like they're going to bed too late mm-hmm. so their afternoon wake windows too long that doesn't encourage a sleep in that encourages an early rising uh, environmental factors like the room is the room brightly lit in the morning diet as well like Good serves of protein help to mm-hmm. stretch us asleep. Are they waking because they're cold? Are they waking because um, they're overtired? What we spoke about before. Their body clocks are set by three things as well: food, light, and social interaction. So, really need to look at those. Are you when they wake at five a.m. getting them up and providing those three things? Are you getting them up, taking them out in front of the TV, putting on the TV, giving them breakfast, and providing food, light, and social interaction? Are those things? being provided consistently and like resetting their body clocks because if you do that honestly a couple of mornings in a row that's enough to reset their body clock and think that that's what time they get up and start the day and you'll probably find that more often than not after a few days of doing it they get up and they 
they want that. They want to go out to the bedroom, out to the lounge room. They want, yeah. They want to, for some people it's going for a walk with dad to get the paper mm. or like the kids, they, they just have their thing that they just, they'll do in the morning and they know that's what they do. But really trying to break that and limit the, that food, light and social interaction, they're your main thing. So if you've about. been doing that for a while, what, what are ways, how can you break that? Yeah, so really limit that. So um, depending on the child's age as well, that's where we would look at different ways yeah. to sort of resettle them and reinforce it. But out of every, like it's the trickiest thing. The early rising is the hardest association to right. break. It's harder than feeding to sleep, rocking to sleep. Like it's it's one thing that takes a lot of patience and a lot of consistency. But it's so definitely they should doable. really be waking around seven seven thirty. Uh yeah. Anyway, look, I recommend anything between six thirty and seven thirty is a reasonable wake up time. If your child is waking at six, like Yumi, and you're happy to with that, and they're still and you're happy with a six six thirty bedtime, then don't stress about it, but, you know, just being mindful that if it starts to creep back and you're noticing 5.30 wake-ups, then, like, obviously that's not going to be sustainable because they still need to get 12 hours in overnight, so you wouldn't want to put them to bed at 5.30. Because then you can never do anything. Yeah. Another, when, what happens when they start going into school and things like that? Well, yeah. another question I had was um, if you have more than one child, yeah. how do you maintain a certain naps for drop-off and pick-up? Yeah, well, I always like to recommend too, like if they're having three naps, morning and afternoon one, have it in the car, car pram, mm. carrier. Don't stress yourself trying mm. to stay home for that. Like you don't want to be a prisoner in your own home and it's hard when you've got toddlers and who, you know, are around pulling everything yeah. out. All they want to do is go to the park, take them to the park, do something. Uh, if you're Just set that nap well, Mental health, don't stay yeah. home. Just But at lunch, when we're trying to encourage a nice lengthy lunch time, mm-hmm. it's really good to be home. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's really good for you too. You get your, you know, ideally two hours of baby Washing. sleeping, get your housework done. If you've got listen, time, listen have a little nap, have a, a nap. Podcast. Yeah. Be on the bump. <laughs> exactly. Priorities. Like don't, yeah. Know, just catch up on your own Yeah, I but, feel like my energy levels based on whether I have been home for that midday nap or yeah. out and about for that midday nap is like mm. such a game changer. <gasps> yeah. it, like oh. Even if I haven't slept, yeah. it's just like have I had that time to just feel like I've yeah. been in my home, got some things done, had some me time. It makes the Even world Even meal prep before difference. you pick up the Yeah, kids. yeah, dinner's done Like because in that witching hour, you know, it's, yeah. it's easier. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, don't stress yourself. And because um, I do recommend that smaller nap in the morning too, they're such small naps. Like So take as an opportunity to get out and about. Yeah, that makes me feel better though with having a less because, you know, you, you don't feel like confined to be at home with a long morning nap you yeah. now have a big one that you just go and like what well, you were saying that i got to be home lunchtime that is my limit yeah. that's my area i have to be yeah. home for that time yeah but that's probably actually perfect for you because if it's that short yeah. nap while you're taking the girls to school that's actually great yeah, yeah. Mm. shall we move on to oh some some people were asking about co-sleeping what are your sure. thoughts on co-sleeping um well obviously with uh SIDS guidelines it is an insurance thing for me I I don't it's not that I don't believe in it but I can't recommend it can't work with co-sleeping only because yeah I'm not covered by insurance so if you do it and it works for you then I'm you know that's really beautiful and uh, it's but um for me it was just like the kids didn't sleep well in my bed and Mm, neither did I like I just didn't and um but for some people they do, and that's great. That works for you. You can get a lot of um, co-sleeping safe tips on the SIDS website as well. Right. Um, but, yeah, unfortunately it's not something I can yeah. offer. And can kids, can kids become good 
self-settlers while co-sleeping. Yeah, definitely. Um, So uh, do you mean in terms of, like, transitioning them? Well, if they were previously co-sleeper? Well, no, I mean a lot of stories I've heard, like I'm the same as you, that Poppy, when she was younger, was quite an independent sleeper. Yeah. She didn't sleep well co-sleeping. We didn't sleep well yeah. co-sleeping. Every, every, we've had stages where as she's gotten a bit older, yeah. we've accidentally kind of like, you know, she's been sick so yeah, we've lapsed back works. into periods yeah. of co-sleeping. But when she was younger, she never liked it. But a lot of the stories I've heard of babies that have co-slept from a young age have been often very dependent on the boob to sleep often it's kind of been like open milk bar overnight Um, don't even know how many times they've fed because it's just kind of happened yeah and that's um i guess like obviously there is a few families out there that do choose to do it because that's what they believe from day one and that's fine but more often than not the clients that i'm dealing with are ones that have done it purely from a place of desperation because it's just what worked for them all to get yeah. sleep and now it's got to the point where they just can't sustain anymore and they know their child's not getting much sleep and um like i just previously worked with a 18 month old boy who had fully closed co-slept his whole mm-hmm. 18 months of life mm-hmm. and was still feeding like at least minimum five times a night on, yeah. on the breast um he just he would just get it opens mum's shirt and just gets it and the mum just said to me like it's worked for now, but we're both tired. Like, yeah. I know that he's, he's not eating much because he's just feeding all night. Yeah. Yeah, and we got him to sleep in his own cot, in his own room. Yeah, so why um, we We started off with the cot in mum's room still, yeah. and then once he was comfortable sleeping in there independently, we did it in his own room. Yeah. And that was fully, like, honestly – very very minimal tears like mum was in the room with him and yeah and it was and mum actually stressed me from day one just like look I'm really anxious about this I don't want any crying and I said he may cry but that's fine you're there with him and show him and she was so so happy like she said I thought it was going to be worse than this he mm. was so calm because I think he was actually ready himself like he yeah. was ready to be in there but yeah they just gently did it and just so the time she-, she was so committed and so patient and mm. it worked it was fine can you sleep train your child, like say they are 15 or 16 months because they're older, if you are in a small apartment in an yeah. open room, is yeah. it possible to do that? If you're room sharing? Like, yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. So um, I usually just ensure that you have the cot rail up, obviously on the side of the cot because a lot of people that are having co-sleeping will have the side of the cot down mm. pushed up against it. So um, put the, make sure the cot's confined um, if you push it just away from your bed so mm-hmm. it's not next to your bed. And that's purely for the child as well because it just makes it easier for them. Um, the, um, yeah, pop it, you know, in the corner of your room. So you still they're still in the room. Sleep environment's the same and, yeah, and we go from there. But I'm kind of glad you asked that about all being in the one room because Nick and I are toying with the idea of maybe – going caravanning for a bit at the end of this year. And the one thing that is playing mm. on my mind is that she will be, Goldie will be at that around six-month age. Yeah. Um, and I have loved that Poppy has been such an independent sleeper. Yeah. And are you worried about the podcast? We'll make it work. Don't no, worry. I'm just having flashbacks to my New Zealand trip in a caravan. <laughs> but go on. And I'm literally thinking like, oh, my gosh, can I still sleep train her if yeah. we're all in a caravan together? I'm sure it will be more difficult than being in a house. 
like, I will contact you at the time yeah. because I am aware <laughs> that this is not my personal podcast. <laughs> um, no, I'm kidding. But do you have any tips for getting your um, bubs to sleep while you're traveling? So I, if it's going to be something like you're going for, a, you know, a few weeks or something, mm-hmm. and you, I would recommend getting them to, used to sleeping in like the port-a-cot or something mm-hmm. first at home, even for day naps, if you're taking a port-a-cot or a, like a tr- travel bassinet or something, getting them used to that and for their day sleeps at home. Take your same linen like for a newborn if it yeah. were a, like a younger baby. Just try to keep things at home like, that you would at home. Take their white noise app. Um, if you use um, grow blinds are really good. I don't know if you or like the Ergo brand have them as well. They're um, – a block out blind that like suction cuts to your windows or there's like a sticker sheet. So it essentially turns oh. your room dark. How big are they? Um, there's all di- – like so the sticker one you can make as big as you want because it comes in squares. They're the Ergo brand. Um, the Grow blind is from the Grow company um, and they're um, a stand- like a standard window size. So they just suction cut but they're like a black fabric and it blocks that is out. A, so they're portable so you can take idea. them to like hotels and things. So yeah. they're really good. And – when the room is dark like that, they sort of don't really know any different anyway, any different. So that works well. But just, I guess, you know, you, you want to try and have a good time, but you're not going to have a good time if your child's really overtired. So yeah. I would probably just really work on getting them to have naps, even if it's car or pram or couch yeah. or something, if they're that little. Um, yeah, because that's going to only work in your favour yeah. anyway. Um, don't try and stretch them out to have late nights and dinners and that. Take your pram, let them sleep in the pram if they need to, if you want to go out for a late dinner. But, you know, I think when you're a parent, you sort of throw most of those late nights out the window, don't you? So, yeah. You I guess then, yeah, you've just got to weigh up, like, how much can you enjoy your trip yeah. if your sleep and is absolutely rubbish. Oh, so it's not it's worth it, is it? Just, yeah. Um, and I guess if we're talking about different time zones and things like that, it works well to, if you find your child's jet lagged and they're adjusting, um, and they do wake for a period overnight. Try to keep the lights dim. Try to have minimal stimulation so you're not, you know, getting up and playing. You're having quite, like, boring interaction. Like, it's yeah. not stimulating at 2 a.m. Yeah. Um, and then you might find they'll awake for two hours. The next night they might only try to condense it down to an hour and get yeah. them down after an hour. Yeah. So, yeah. And Just, any tips on um, helping your baby sleep if they're starting daycare? So yeah. is that pack similar things like home linen yeah so you could take them for a couple of visits like before they start a lot of daycare centers let you go in for a couple of and you could even try getting your child to sleep there yourself so getting them if they settle really well with you yeah um but to be honest i do find like babies are pretty clever they do pick up pretty quick that you know even this even though this happens at home with mum, this is what happens at daycare and yeah, they pick up on that pretty I quick. I couldn't believe it. In Poppy's, like, second or third week, um, yeah. our daycare educator had her sleeping on a mattress on the floor, yeah. not even mm. in a cot, I know. with, like, four other kids sleeping yeah. there. And I was just like, what do you what they do. And they sleep yeah. for a while too. Yeah, and yeah, she, that's she had a great two-hour yeah. nap on a mattress on the floor. I'm like, if I tried to put her on a mattress on the floor, she would just get up and be like, yeah. Sucker, and they Absolutely usually have it pretty not. brightly lit and things like that. But they, I guess the other thing, they're so stimulated, like they've been on the go all yeah. day. Their little minds are in overdrive, so they're so tired. Yeah. So on daycare days too, I do recommend like trying to aim for a bit of an early night, on yeah. daycare nights, just because they. Yeah, are you think it's so going to be tired. awesome that they're coming home tired, but yeah, oh, actually, like you yeah. are ready. You get home and it's like freight train's just like quick in the door, bath, dinner, let's get you into bed. Yeah, if dinner's not already ready, yeah. Or something, yeah you, <laughs> 
who is screwed. Just a couple it. about toddlers. Um, when is a good time to swap to a from a cot to a floor mattress or a bed? Yeah. Or... Uh, so I've just actually done a bit of a series post on this actually on my Instagram page, but it's like I I don't recommend going transitioning to a big bed any earlier than two and a half um, mm-hmm. if you can avoid it. Closer to three, great, but. Unless they're obviously climbing out from a safety point of view, then you probably need to. Um, If they are starting to climb and they're not wearing a sleeping bag, I'd recommend a sleeping bag. That Mm -hmm. can sort of stop Mm. their ability to get out. Um, And one tip I heard is if they're able to, because often if they can climb, they're also at the age that they can get out of their sleeping bag. And I've heard putting it on back. Put it on backwards or put a lightweight T-shirt over it Ah, so they can't have a zipper. Those two things work really well. Um, You can... Um, yeah, so the reason I don't recommend any earlier than that is just because they have no impulse control. So you could have had a really good sleeper that slept, you know, through the night um, in their cot and not a problem, went down without a care in the world and you just popped them in and walked out. And then you might find you get, they, they refer to it as a grace period. So for two weeks you might find that they're all good and they're so cute in their big bed and then all of a sudden they realise they can get out mm. and then this becomes mm-hmm. a game and then that game then means that you're walking them back and come on darling or yeah. what if mummy lays you mummy's just gonna lay with you tonight come on lay down mummy will lay with you and we'll just have a little pat and then you lay with them and then they're asleep and you go out and they wake in the middle of the night and you're not there yeah mummy, and, mummy, and they come into your room yeah. and then you have to go back with them and lay with them fall asleep and before you know it that's your new norm and it's just yeah and it's not that it's a bad thing it's just that it's not what you're used to and no you know, I feel I, like at this point in time, you wouldn't like that to happening with Poppy. That'd be so hard having Poppy. Oh, you know, like yeah. you just think when you're used to getting your sleep, and then that happens. And usually, yeah. what I find too is it coincides with a new baby. So the parents have, like in your situation, got a newborn that they're also up with as well. So it's so important that you just try to. I, if it was me and I needed the cop for another baby, I would recommend either borrowing one from a friend, buying secondhand one of Gumtree or something if you didn't have the money to buy a new one. Um, Or um, the other thing too is they're usually in a bassinet for a few months. So you've got a few months up your sleeve while they're in a bassinet. So I wouldn't take a cot off um, a newborn, off a toddler, also introduce a new sibling and expect everything to just be okay and yeah. if it's not due to climbing out what are other signs that they are ready to um, go into i guess bed? if they're getting like they look like a bfg in there like they're yeah. and they're banging and it's waking them up yeah that's you know probably a sign that hey they're looking pretty uncomfortable i think yeah. you to get them in bed yeah um and when they when they go into their new bed that's when you wouldn't put them in a sleeping sack yeah so you can still get the sleeping sacks with the legs yes yeah. yeah the ergo ones are really good they do yeah. that um, i just imagine oh <laughs> face yeah, I know, and, and you hear them trying to shuffle. Like, yeah, um, and do you start, start with a little rail if it is a bit? Yeah, you can start with a rail. Yeah, yeah. or um, or, yeah. So if it's a oh, higher bed, obviously, yeah, for safety perspective, yeah. But um, also you can pop a baby gate on the door too, mm. so it just treats the room like a cot. So yeah. they're not tempted. You're removing temptation to, as I said, they don't have impulse control. So you're removing that temptation to come out. Mm. Um, and treating the room like a court, like it's not there to be, you know. God, it's years it's of a, doing things, isn't uh, it? Because then you got potty training, and I then know. I'm like, I need a wee, I need my bed. And yes, like, oh. yeah. So that's yeah. When that's the only time you wouldn't probably put the baby gate there is if they are toilet training and they want to constantly get out. But um, yeah, and if. If they are toilet training too and they need to be able to get out of the cot, that's another sign probably to get them out of the cot of into course. a big bed because, yeah, that can be hard. If they're actually sort of at that age where they're asking to go in a big bed, big bed and they're showing a lot of interest, 
then, you know, you could give it a try. But, again, you know, if they're only just two, probably maybe not in a good time. When is it time to give them one of those little toddler pillows? They usually recommend, seeds recommend when they transition to a big bear. Yeah. You can obviously introduce one a bit early. If your child's in the cot, you know, is it necessary? Um, Why do I, you give them a pillow? Well, um, comfort. Yeah, <laughs> we we did it because it, um, after Poppy had been sick once, she'd been in our bed and she. I'm not recommending this from a SIDS point of view. Yeah. Um, she'd been in our bed and we were trying to transfer her back into her bed and something that she just like really loved sleeping on the pillow yeah. in our bed and ever since then she's had a pillow. But yeah. I don't know if that can be recommended or not. No, so um, a lot of the, like, kids' pillows are obviously really made of the breathable material and they're so small anyway and so flat, but it's just, I guess, more you want to be considerate of their their neck strength and and whatnot. Um, but, yeah, you, you know yourself, cot mattresses are obviously from a safety point of view very firm, so um, it's, it is nice to have that bit of comfort for them too. Mm. Um, I think this will probably be one of the last ones, but if you have – a toddler that still has a dummy or um, has a bottle to go to bed, what are some ways that, you you know, you can get rid of those? If it's a bottle, I would recommend going to a sippy cup and I would recommend having it in the lounge room before they go to bed. Yeah. So weaning off or either sitting on their floor while you're doing their book and having it there taking it off them before they're going to bed. Uh, if they, yeah, is that the question or are they, are they having it? Uh, well, they do, no, do they no sorry, before bed. Before bed, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you can just, yeah, go to a sippy so cup. So it's not necessary for any child to have a little sippy cup of water in their cot because they're just um, going to associate it with... If it, it's, it's completely fine to have it there if they want it, but if you find they're waking in the night and constantly asking for that water, mm. then it's more a sleep association than yeah. just a need. Like... Us as adults, we do, you know, some of us do sleep with water by our bed and wake up and have a drink in the night, but... Generally, yeah. yeah. If if they're at that age where they can actually wake up, then you can probably leave a little sippy cup of water for them there. Mm. But, yeah, it wouldn't be something I just actively put in the pot every night for them. And with the bottle, do you you find it helpful to start diluting down the milk and then just giving them warm water? Uh, No. no. Like I just usually recommend going to a sippy cup and then you can just reduce down the meals if you want. I guess by the age that we're talking toddlers, they're going to comprehend what's going on. Yeah. You know, there's no milk tonight. We've got no milk left. Um, Yeah, and just sort of maybe just implementing something like that, saying something that they're going to understand that will work for you. But, yeah, like, so we've got no milk left tonight. There's no milk in the fridge. The shots are closed. Or, yeah, yeah, and just saying, that's all right. We're going to just go in and have our book and and go from there. It's just like any change you try to make, they're going to protest it. Yeah, yeah. It's just being consistent with it. But And then what about Yeah, I'll definitely go bottle sippy cup then. Yeah. And then the dummy, do, yeah. do you find planting um, it under a tree? Or? Yeah, so there's um, lots of different ways you can do it. You can do that, um, like you can just do cold turkey if you'd like, but you can also do that it's purely, if you've got a child that likes to walk around and just suck it all day, you can say, no, it's only for bedtime and go just for bed. Like it's only for, we only have it in the day or we only have it at night. Like just mm-hmm. do, okay, we're only going to have it for night sleep or we're only going to have it for day naps. And then weaning off it from there, then just like no, the dummy, no dummy now, and um, the dummy fairy works really well too. So after those few days of weaning it from no day naps to then just night, you could then go and give it to the dummy fairy where you they leave it out at night for the dummy fairies to come and get. Or I think Easter with Billy, she yeah. was a dummy. Um, like she was absolutely obsessed with it. Would yep. always walk around with it. 
and she was three and we said that's it we need to give this to another baby because they need a dummy for easter can we give it to the easter bunny yeah and she never asked for it again yeah they do went and she knew she couldn't get it back because she was at that age where she comprehends what's going on so if yeah if in regards to the dummy if you are going to keep it like if you want to if you want to have one as a newborn for instance have it and then if it's not something you want to maintain long term between four to six months is a good time to ditch it if you're not going to ditch it then just be mindful that between like up until probably eight or nine months you can't really physically teach a child to go to find their dummy and replace it themselves so you're going to have those few months of you whether you're going to have to manage that dummy for them they're relying on you to manage it come in put it in and out and find and replace it throughout the night um, then after that age, we can teach them how to find and replace it by placing their hand, guiding their hand to their mouth and gradually like tapping the mattress and showing them where the dummy is and guiding their hand to the dummy. It's like just teaching them how to manage it. Um, but, yeah, just being mindful that and patient that, hey, you know what, I'm going to have to do this for them for the next few months because they not only are they probably swaddled, they also don't have the ability to find that dummy. Like it's hard enough yeah, for us in the middle of the night finding the dummy in the room. But for them, yeah, so that's just something. But and then I guess if you get past that stage, you're going to realise that it's going to be a protest yeah. until they get to an age where they can yeah. have and pretty I, much com- like comprehension yeah. of the dummy. It's yeah. So it's it's too cruel to take it off a 9 or 10-month-old baby, honestly. It is so cruel because the association is so strong. It's easier just to teach them to find and replace it and then let them, when they're old enough um, and they comprehend what's going on, give it to the dummy mm. fairy or garbage trucks or something that they understand. But, yeah, yeah you can gradually, like, cut down when they're having Is that hard when the next sibling then comes and they've got a dummy? Do you find that's um, difficult? If, or? Like if, for instance, um, Poppy had one now with Goldie and Goldie was sitting here with dummy. Poppy's a thumb, thumb yeah. sucker. I can't yeah. take that away. No, thumb, <laughs> thumb suckers are the best sleepers, though. They're good. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm, I'm actually yeah. not. Yeah. I was a massive yeah. thumb sucker like, and I don't really really care like yeah. people have tried to scare me about the teeth no. like she is just so comfortable yeah. with it and I have no cho- like I have yeah. no choice I can't take it off no, I can't, can't give it to the off. thumb exactly. fairy <laughs> I know people are so so worried about a thumb sucker but they obviously in my experience make the best sleepers so. yeah um but yeah so for instance just to use you an example I wouldn't introduce a new baby to Poppy and say we're giving the dummy to the baby because I, I feel all that's going to generate is mm. a bit of jealousy mm. and it's not going to be very nice. So, There's enough. Yeah, that. don't use the baby as the, as the excuse. As the bad person, <laughs> <laughs> the bad cop. So, yeah. Well, that's awesome. I think you've covered a load of questions that people wanted answers for. So thank you so, so much for coming up no, and we appreciate fine. the chats. And taking time from your holiday. Yes, no, thank right. you so much. I'm just so, thinking so of my much. husband now at the beach with the three kids. <laughs> I know. Yeah. You need to go and join them now. No, I'm enjoying this. <laughs> <laughs> so good. No, thank you so much. This has come at the perfect time oh, for me. Good. But it's also made me feel really reassured that, you know, just soak up these newborn days yeah. and don't, don't stress, put pressure yeah. on any sleep. And just because, like... <sighs> you know somebody told you that you shouldn't do that you're doing the wrong thing don't ever doubt your mum instinct like always just go with what works for you and don't yeah don't ever feel that you're doing the wrong thing because there's no right or wrong and yeah yeah and if it's working for you then it's working for the whole family so yeah no that's so great good advice sort of falls on us doesn't it absolutely yeah. yeah well we'll have all those um those links put up so in the show notes yeah Oh, yeah. And I feel sorry for anyone who has a cat-napping child because it's going to take them about 
five days to get to the end of the episode. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's what we weren't able to cover everything in your 20 minute catnap. So, um, yes, thank you so much. That's okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.